I don't know how I would answer. You know, I think I might look at them and kind of think, well, I know what love is. You're stupid for asking me that. Why, why are you asking me what love is? But if I had to sit and think about it, how do you define love? I think I could give a good definition of it. I think I could say, you know, love is putting others uh, in front of yourself. Love is, uh, is, is desiring the goodwill of one another, regardless of, of what that entails uh, on your own behalf. Uh, but what is love? I'm sure there's plenty of y'all that could give me a, a better definition than I just gave. Uh, we're sitting in a congregation right here. We've got some scripture to define it. But, but what is love? Especially, how does this world define love? How does society define love? Because unfortunately, uh, we're in this world... Whether we like it or not, we just hope to not be of it. So, in preparing this, I figured I might sit here and attempt to define love as the world defines it. But if I did that, ultimately I'd just be giving you my perception of how the world defines love. So, I took it upon myself to, uh, to look it up in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And uh, y'all get ready. Y'all wouldn't believe what I found. So, according to Merriam-Webster, love, as defined in the noun tense... It's a strong affection arising out of kinship or personal ties. Next definition, it says, it's attraction based on sexual desire, tenderness felt by lovers. It's attraction based on admiration, benevolence, or common interest. It's an assurance of affection. Notice that word assurance. It's warm attachment, enthusiasm, or devotion. Love in the verb form says to hold dear. To feel a lover's passion, devotion, or tenderness. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says that love is to caress. It says love is to fondle amorously. And if you don't know what the word amorously means, it means in a sexual manner. Love is to copulate, to have sex with. Love is to like or desire actively, to take pleasure in, to feel affection or experience desire. So what's the definition of love? This is how Merriam-Webster defines it. How do you all define it? If this is how Merriam-Webster defines it, and this is, what the, this is a dictionary that our schools give to, uh, to us as students, wouldn't you think that this is how the world defines love? If we look at it and we look at all these uh, adjectives such as uh, affection, uh, attraction, sexual desire, Warm, enthusiasm, feel, to like or desire, pleasure. All of these words are talking about feeling. As the world defines it, love is sex and lust. Love is sexual gratification. Love is acceptance. And love is a feeling as this world defines it. I'm not a dad, nor am I a mom, obviously. Uh, but moms, when your son's going on his first date, how would you define love to him? Would you use the dictionary to define love? Dads, how would you define love when your daughter's going on her first date? I don't think you're going to use the definition that says to fondle amorously, and I'm not making a mocking of that I'm being serious. This is how the world defines love, or at least how the dictionary does. So when your kids get in fourth grade and they get told, hey, use the dictionary, when they look up that word love, because that's one of the 
words in their vocabulary at that age, what are you going to say to them when they come home and ask you what love is when they've got the definition in their hand? So where do we see this? Where do we see the world loving as the world defines love? We see the world loving as the world defines it. We see the, the sexual gratification, the sexual influence that the world has. We see it in advertisement. We see it on billboards. We see it on commercials. We see commercials for dating sites that are not appropriate. Uh, a week or so ago, a week and a half or so ago, my family and I, we were in Alabama, and uh, man, there were some messed up billboards out on I-20 in Mississippi. Uh, there was one that I don't know if my family saw or not, but uh, it was a billboard uh, advertising a website meant for cheating, cheating on your spouse. This is how the world defines love. We see it in advertisement. We see it in TV shows. You know, there's... Uh, a couple of TV shows that just really irk me. I never used to say that word. I'm not real sure why I say the word irk in these days. But, uh, but there's a few TV shows that just tick me. One of them is The, uh, the Bachelor. And, uh, you know, I know that we can sit here and laugh about it. And it's kind of funny. And it, 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 it's some drama. And it's reality TV. But, you know, it's that for a second. And then when the world gets involved in it, that is the world. What the world watches, the words we speak, what we intake, that becomes us. So when we have a show that's promoting uh, a lack of modesty, and when we have a show that's promoting sex, and when we have a show that has a man up on stage that gets to date 20 people and cheat on 19 people 19 times over, well, we've got an issue because now this world falls to that. So we see the sex and lust, the sexual gratification and advertisement and TV and movies. We can't avoid it. You can't even take a family vacation without your son seeing a, a billboard uh, advertising cheating on your spouse. Then we see acceptance in the world. Where do we see acceptance in the world? Well, we see acceptance in the degradation of God's purpose of sex. In the locker room, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been in a locker room. I ran track for four years. The conversations we have in the locker room are just filthy, absolutely filthy. I mean, they are pathetic. We promote sex. We promote sexual immorality. You got guys talking about getting with other girls and people are laughing and high-fiving about it. This is going on in our schools and, and unfortunately, even Preacher Man up here gets involved in it from time to time. I just wanted to call myself Preacher Man for a second. <laughs> but no, this is what goes on. We see acceptance and accepting the lack of modesty. On Instagram, we go around telling people they're cute. When they got half a shirt on and a pair of shorts that's half the size of the length of my underwear. We see acceptance and the acceptance of homosexuality and transgenderism. This is how the world loves. This is the world's definition. And here we have it. The world defines love as a feeling. And we see plenty of feeling in this world. We see feeling in writing. I don't feel love, and this group may not be love, so I feel like I'm going to go do what I want. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. If you're a redneck like me and want to take matters into your own hand, you're like, well, I'll shoot you. You mess with me, I'll shoot you. Right? Because I, I, I don't feel like loving you. I'll, I'll take matters into my own hand rather than letting God take care of it. We see uh, the world loving and feeling in racism, right? Racism is just not loving someone because you don't like their skin color, right? 
You're black, I don't feel like loving you. You're white, I don't feel like loving you. Why? Because you're white or because you're black or because you're Hispanic or anything in between. I don't feel like loving you, right? No reason. I'll use the color of your skin to rationalize it, but I don't feel like loving you, so I'm not going to. And I told you all earlier that my face might get red. My face is going to get red because I'm nervous up here. I'm talking in front of a whole bunch of people, but my face is going to get red because I'm going to be real with you all for a second. If you think that it's just the world, right, that's involved in all of this, you're wrong. It's this church right here. It's me. When it comes to sex and lust and sexual gratification, mothers and fathers, for that matter, start checking your kids' search history when they get in middle school. Because when you get in middle school and you start hearing everything going on in the locker room and you start experiencing things within your own body and you're naive and you don't know God quite like you ought to, quite like you can when your brain's not developed, you get involved in things that you wish you otherwise hadn't have got involved in. You get a taste of the world. This goes on in the youth group at Singing Oaks Church of Christ. This went on in the Hill household. You find yourself on a site that you didn't wish to be found on. That you wish your parents never knew you were on. You might have hit it for a long time. You let the world get to you. You let the world define love. You will find yourself involved in pornography you will find yourself involved in masturbation. You'll find yourself involved in it all. I did. With the Lord's Spirit, I've been able to repent, long repent, but I found myself there. That's no one's fault. But if we let the world define love as though they do, you'll find yourself there. I'll find myself partaking in the sexual jokes that I know are wrong, right? I'm in the locker room. It's kind of funny. You know, I'd laugh, even though I, I knew I shouldn't laugh. I'd say them every now and then. I've said a racist joke before. I've said the N-word before with malice, malice intent, right? Let the world define love. That's what you get. That's what I got. God's Spirit helps us to, uh, to repent, but you'll find yourself there. At least I did. This world fails to define love correctly. By its definition, we can conclude that this world's love is conditional, 100% conditional. So where do we see these issues in the Bible, right? Well, if we look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we'll read that uh, as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? So what do we see in this passage, right? We see sexual immorality. We see incest, right? And we see sexual immorality in many places. Not just incest. I don't feel like that goes on a whole lot anymore. But we see sexual immorality rampant. We see it in this text right here. What else do we see? We see acceptance. There's a church that has accepted this man and his sin, not just the man, and his sin of sexual immorality, right? Love says that we're, uh, the world says that love is acceptance. There we go. We got acceptance. Does that sound like love? 
If we look at the uh, prodigal son in Luke 15, uh, for those of you that don't know the story of the prodigal son, which I'm sure most of y'all do, uh, the prodigal son, we see an older son, right, who is somewhat righteous. I think he's pretty righteous. This is in a nutshell. I'm not giving you all the context. I'm not a Bible scholar. Uh, And we see the younger son, right? And the younger son's a troublemaker. He's a partier. He goes around. He steals from his father. He steals from his mother. Or it doesn't say he steals from his mother. I'm going to assume if he steals from his father, he steals from his mother. Uh, He steals from his older brother. And he runs off and he finds himself in a a bit of trouble. And uh, finally, he comes back home one day. So we're going to read kind of what goes on once he comes back home. Starting at verse 25, John chapter, or Luke chapter 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of, his, one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, has been, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So, me, when I hear this story, I I kind of, uh, not that I'm righteous, but I kind of relate to the older brother. When I see wrong, man, I don't want to celebrate wrong. And and that's that's not what's going on. But I don't want to celebrate wrong. And I want consequences, even for myself at times. They're not always fun. But, you know, I I want this world to be disciplined. I don't want to celebrate someone who's been out partying and and drinking and stealing from me. I don't want to do that. Why should I have to, right? Well, what we see in this is that the younger son has come home. And when a younger son comes home, the father celebrates him. He's back, right? Shouldn't we celebrate the fact that he's alive? Shouldn't we celebrate that? Well, the older brother says otherwise. We'll dig into that a little bit later on. So here we see that the older brother is not loving because he doesn't feel like it. Right? Love is a feeling, isn't it? The world describes love as a feeling. Just as we and the world struggle today, so did the early Christians. The early Christians were, were the world of their time. This is nothing new that's going on right now. So what's God have to say about all this? What's God's definition of love? Well, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, we'll notice that it gives a really good definition of love. Fathers, use this definition of love when you're telling your daughter what love is before she goes on her first date, not the dictionaries. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It is not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So if we're looking at this definition of love right here, which I think Paul's got it pretty spot on, he says that love is an action. It's to be kind. That takes action. I don't always want to be kind. Love is an action, as defined by this. Let's take a look at where we see God loving us. Jabari mentioned it earlier uh, when he read off John 3.16 during our first bit of worship. If we look at John 3.16, 
verses 16 through 21, uh, we see that it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We can see God loving us further if we flip to uh, Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. In Romans 5, 6 through 11, it reads, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In these two verses, or in these two pieces of scripture, we see that God's love is unattainable. Don't let that scare you. It's freely given. He's already given it to us. It's unattainable. We can't work for it. We'll conclude on that here in a second. Let's take a look at John 15. In John 15, verses 9 through 17, we see, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whoever or whatever you ask in the name of the father, he will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is what God says to do, right? Going back to the John 3 and Romans 5 verses, we find that God's love is unconditional. There are no conditions. Our love is conditional. It doesn't matter how righteous you are on this earth. There's conditions in your love and and what you set for others. Don't tell me that you don't have expectations for the one you love, for your significant other. You do, even if you wish you didn't. Our love on this earth is conditional, and if it's not for you, it is for me. It's hard. Love's not easy. I don't think God ever said love was easy. I can tell you right now, my mother has a hard time loving me, not because she doesn't love me, because I'm hard to love. I'm stubborn, real stubborn. 
If we look back at that John 15, God's love is sacrificial. Notice how there's some if statements in there. If you keep my commands, right? Love is not a feeling. We'll get to that in a second. But love is not a feeling. Love is work at times. As unfortunate as that is to hear. God's love is sacrificial, meaning that we are going to have to sacrifice some things of our own if we want to love as though God has called us to love. So what does God command us to do? Like I said a second ago, love is an action, not a feeling. Let's get that stated plain and clear. Everyone thinks that love is a feeling, including myself from time to time, but it's not. Love is an action, not a feeling. There are feelings that accompany it. Don't ever marry someone because you feel like it. Marry someone because you're going to love them for the rest of your life, knowing that it's going to be hard. What does this mean for us, right? We are to love our enemies. If we look at Matthew 5, 43 through 48, like I read at the beginning of this, we see loving our enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm not saying being easy is perfect. I'm perfect, but it's hard. Um, No, I'm not perfect, not in the slightest. But this is what God is telling us to do. He's telling us to love our enemies. So both sides of the aisle over here, it's hard to love your enemies. I got a lot of things that I disagree with that are going on in this world. And I don't have to love the sin itself, but I got to love the enemy, the one that's portraying the sin. And I should, because sometimes I'm that person that's in the sin. And do I want someone to hate me when I'm in that sin? I don't think I do. As a matter of fact, I know I don't. I want everyone to love me. I think that's obvious. I don't think we want anyone to hate us. Love your enemies, and that's a lot harder said than, or a lot easier said than done. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. It's a long passage, so y'all bear with it. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit Uh, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. 
For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. These are God's words. These aren't my words. These are God's words right here. Love your brother and sister. And if you can't, you can't love God. We've seen our brothers and sisters. It's a lot easier to love our friends than it is to love God, who unfortunately, none of us are the original 12 disciples. We had never seen Jesus Christ on this earth, or at least most of us haven't. Some of us have. I'd like to talk to him. If we're the church, we've got to figure out how to love like God. Love is not simply sexual gratification. I think we can all agree to that. We're called to a life of purity. Love is not always acceptance. Let's look back at, at 1 Corinthians for a second here. And if we look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, I think I'm wreaking havoc on y'all up there, but give me a second. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, talking about the man that was involved in uh, incest, says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Notice that last part. So that his spirit may be saved. So for the better. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians in this right here. And he's saying this man that's involved in this sin. This sexual sin incest. Hand him over to Satan. And what he's really saying. He's saying kick him out of the church. Now back then you got to realize that back then. If you were kicked out of the church. You were completely excommunicated. That was your life. Your life was over. And hopefully something would get a hold of you. And maybe you'd be accepted back in one day. Uh, And that's not historically 100% correct. Because I'm not perfect. But bear with me for a second and saying. Paul, in saying excommunicate him, is not saying not accept the person. He's saying don't accept the sin and show him that you're not going to accept the sin. Now, I'm not saying we need to kick anyone out of the church. We don't. At least not anyone I know of. He's saying do not accept the sin whatsoever. Accept the person, not sin. Love the person, not the sin. Love is not a feeling. It's an action. Luke 15 Verse 31 through 32, the end of the prodigal son, when the older son is over here talking to his daddy and is saying, oh, come on, why are we celebrating the younger brother? The dad says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this, brothers of your, this brother of yours was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is now found. So what he's saying is, he's not, he's not over here saying that the younger brother didn't sin. He's not saying the younger brother wasn't caught up in everything. He's saying, he came back. We got to celebrate him. We got to give him a little bit of something. He came back. Shouldn't we be celebrating the fact that he is, was dead and is now alive again? Shouldn't we be celebrating that? The older brother persists. And it's like, no, I don't want to love. I don't feel like it. I feel like I should be getting the party, not the younger brother. You know, we've got to figure out how to love right. I've got to figure out how to love right. It's hard. It's hard. I don't always want to love my family. I've had plenty of moments where loving my family was very difficult. Very difficult. Tears were shed. Words that I would think that my parents and I both wish we hadn't have said have been said. Love is hard, and it's not, it's not something I always want to do. But it's something we're called to do. We're called to love. So when we see 
sins in this world, rather than accepting them, accept the person not to sin. Accept the person not to sin. Invite the person to eat with you. Invite the person into your home. Be generous to him or her. Try and teach them about the Lord if you can. If it's not the right time and place, accept them, love on them. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. I don't want want to do it 80% of the time, but do it. Don't accept the sin. I have people that are very close to me that are involved in all the sins I mentioned earlier on. Sexual immorality, homosexuality. I love them to death. Never had a problem with them in my life. I don't like their sin. I don't like my sin. Let's thirst and hunger for righteousness. Isn't that one of the Beatitudes? Blessed is that who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Do so. Don't accept the sin. Accept the person. Love on them. The greatest commandment, which I don't have written down, I think it said in Mark 12, verses 31, something like that. Uh, God says, the greatest commandment, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice that last part. Love your neighbor as yourself. Think today and ponder on it. Are y'all loving your neighbor as yourself? Let's repent. Let's love on one another. And let's pray that we begin to grasp God's love. Because if we can grasp God's love, then we can better love others. If y'all would, bow your heads with me and we'll, we'll go ahead and pray this out. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this day and thank you for all you've given us. Um, we want to thank you for letting us lift our heads off our pillows this morning and, and for getting to come to this church. And thank you for letting us get to worship here in person. Um, Lord, as we go home today, you know, I hope that we find some time today just to uh, ponder and uh, think on it that we begin to grasp God's love. And through that, I pray that we begin to love our brothers and sisters as though we ought in a godly manner. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. We love you, your son, and your spirit. It's in your son Christ's name we pray. Amen.